This is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode number 169. Hey, veterinary friends, it's Dr. Julie Capel, and today on the podcast, I'm really excited to have a very special guest someone that I just met, so I'm really excited to get to know. It's Dr. Travis Fox, and um, I don't know his story, but I know he's got a lot of interesting things to tell us, so I'm really excited to hear about it. How you doing, Travis? I'm good, Doc. Thanks for letting me be on the show, and for, for most of your listeners, I know that you guys are you know, more in the, the veterinarial space, but let's agree we're all humans, even though your focus is on animals, but Absolutely. we have, still have to work with humans, and how do we prove our business, and last I checked, most pets or animals have some sort of caretaker or owner. So I think we'll be able to cover both, both areas pretty well. Yeah. That's a huge, huge part of our job is dealing with people. So we don't, they don't tell us that before we get in vet school though. <laughs> no, Keep they didn't tell me that either. When I got, when I got in school either, they're like, Oh, you'll be dealing with humans. I went, Oh, <laughs> I thought I was dealing with me. I didn't realize I had to do with, you know, with clients and, Oh, that's yeah. what that means. Oh, yeah. okay. And that, that's I was a, a whole little <laughs> extra set of skills, right? Right. Yeah. And unfortunately, they don't teach it very well in school. You have to learn it through this other school called the School of Hard Knocks. Exactly. And that, that, that school is a little more challenging, which undoubtedly I'm sure you and all your listeners know and I clearly do as well. Absolutely is. Yeah, we've all been through a few. So tell me your story. Start early and tell me your whole life story. I want to hear it all. Well, at 51, we might be here a while, Doc, so I'll see if I can give you the abridged <laughs> well, version. you can give me the condensed version, version if you want. You yeah, can, I'll give you the abridged version. Yeah, no problem. We'll just give you the highlights, the dramas, the whole things, you know, the, the highs and lows. Um, well, as you undoubtedly know from the previous part of this conversation, uh, yeah, I'm 51 now. I probably act like I'm 12 uh, um, and I'm OK with that now. I'm, I'm a Benjamin Button. Um, I was born in 1970. I was born in the United States in Phoenix, Arizona. But my first four years of my life, I was actually raised in Japan. Uh, my mother was a model and actress uh, at the time. And back then, being five foot seven with auburn hair and green eyes, that was what they wanted. So I was raised, raised in Japan. So Japan has a lot of influence and that's a, uh, in my life and in my cultural upbringing, even how I run my companies my entire life. Came back for a brief stint and my father had this crazy idea. My father was a Michigan uh, farm boy, but military uh, fighter pilot. So I always tell people, if you ever saw the original movie Top Gun with uh, Tom Cruise, that was not how my parents' marriage went. It was like a like this, you know, a model of yeah, total left brain, total right brain, and that didn't really work out because they were you know very polarized. Which right. you know, I always tell people jokingly, I'm I'm bihemispheric. I, I can be left brain or right brain. So that was the positive. But we he had this crazy idea. He wanted to, to be a golfer. Uh, he you know, and that was kind of his thing. And so he put a golf club in my hand. We had a brief stay in Florida, which is where my golf career started. And I was natural to me. I just Boom. I was hitting the ball 80 yards off the tee when I was five years old. And it just was kind of, a, to me, I was just playing. All I cared about was getting in the sand traps. I didn't care about playing golf. <laughs> I just played. But my dad got this, you know, very much, you know, pre-Tiger Woods thing. Okay, oh, hey, this, this kid could be on the PGA Tour, which was really his dream. He wanted to play that, but it wasn't really good enough. Long story long, we went spent another three years over in Germany and Europe, and I got to see all of Europe. So I got to see most of the world before I really spent any time here in the United States. So we came back at about nine years old, and my parents, like I said, they decided to divorce. My mom went, you know, back to LA to you know finish her film and television career, and and my childhood ended at that time because my father, my, my parents, I was an only child, still am to this day. Rumors, 
that uh, <laughs> unless there's some out true. there you don't know about, right? Right. I mean, there, there, you know, there's always the Vietnam War, and that was a weird time for my father, so you never know. But theoretically, I'm the only fox, you know, left in the family on this side, bar my kids. The uh, my parents sat down and had this kind of progressive, kind of Doctor Spock ideology of, hey, let's let the child choose his own path. And so at nine years old, they said, hey, we're getting divorced. You get to choose who you live with. Well, that's when I first learned what the reptilian brain actually did in cognition. What does it really do? How does it work? What does it throw us into in the fight or flight mechanism? And I went into survival mode and went, who is the more you know, stable? What is going to solve my golf career? What do I need to do in order to advance myself? And so I made my decision, but it was an adult decision, which I was ill-prepared to make and completely emotionally prepared to make. Because I had to choose between my parents, which any you know, who's been through divorce, whether as a parent or a, a child, that's a challenging thing to do. But at nine, it was even more challenging. But I did it, and I went into survival mode. And my father and I, my relationship with him took on a very different path. He and I became two bachelors. Uh, my father was still emotionally and tragically wounded from the divorce with my mom and never recovered. Um, and I looked like my mom, so do the math. So you know, it became a very diabolically challenging relationship. Because by the time I was 13, I was a scratch golfer. So I was you know, clearly just much better on the golf course than my father. And I was a student of the game. I mean, I was ruthlessly obsessed. And everybody knew that Travis Fox was going to be a PGA Tour golfer in high school. And, and people always ask what I was like as a teenager. I'm like, exactly what I am now. I just was smaller. The, the, uh, if you ever watched Ferris Bueller's Day Off, that was me. I'm a people person. I love people. The people, people are interesting to me. Um, I don't, you know, have a particular why of they are. They just find them interesting. I like their stories. I like seeing how they create. What do they do? What's the adventures they go on? My father was the complete opposite. He was much more of a recluse than I was. And so golf uh, was the only way we could relate. And I made an interesting choice at the age of uh, 17, rolling 18, probably a subconscious modality to, towards my father where, you know, it was never good enough for my father. I could, I, I can tell you a point blank story. I, I remember winning a, a very large tournament uh, in my senior year. And uh, won in a four-hole playoff, beat 156 other players in state. And it was an amazing thing. Came back and, I, and he goes, hey, how'd you do? And I said, dad, I actually won. And he goes, great. What do you want for dinner? And so my father was never good enough for him. It was always had to be this constant potential, potential's not realized thing. And I think subconsciously, somewhere along the lines, I decided to rebel. And I became a first-time father myself at, at just shy of 18 years old. And oh, that, that is a that, big life change. Yeah, that's a big F you, dad. I don't really want to do this. And I didn't realize that at the time, but, you know, that was really what I think was happening. And I needed that psychological break, um, but I, I chose a very interesting path to do it. Long story long, what I didn't anticipate, and I don't know that anybody could, was it also became my downfall. Um, I went into an emotional spiral. Uh, I was ill-prepared for being a father. I was ill-prepared for the heartbreak that came along with the destruction of that relationship. We were both kids. We we're both athletes. We we're both going to college to play you know, our respective sports, having a child was not in the bailiwick. Um, and it, it put me in a place that I was no clue what to do with it. There was no training for it at that time or even an awareness of it. And so my golf career was in instant decline. I mean, I, I went from a freshman with a promising, promising career at Arizona State to complete idiot, literally overnight. You know, you're on, you're, you're on the tee box and you're, you know, you look down at your shoes and you're like, why did I wear these shoes? And the next minute you're crying, the next minute you're yelling at yourself, why'd you hit that shot? I mean, it was true neurosis. And so I went to the psych department and their first response was to do a Freudian and quasi gestalt model with me. And I, I rejected it profusely and said, this is great, but what the hell does that have to do with my golf game? How do I get this thing to do this that I've been doing for the last 15 yeah, years? How do I, I make that, that was, reconnect? Right. 
Yeah. How do I get my body and my mind to start working together as opposed to fighting each other? Which, you know, I think most of us really kind of run into that realm. And I couldn't find what I was looking for in that space. And ultimately, I ran into my mentor and my master, uh, Doc Neves. And Doc took me under his wing and said, have you ever looked at subconscious modalities and belief structures and emotional trauma? No, I'm trying to hit a golf ball back to 300 yards again. How do I do that? Never heard of it. Yeah, I'm like is mean like the woo-woo thing and the watch? What are you, what are you talking about? And he's like, right. no, sit down, sit down, sit down. And he ran me through a process that felt like a lifetime. I thought it was days. It was time was a completely different modality to me. It was about 30 minutes in real time. And I was mesmerized, puns intended. I said, I need to know everything about that. I need to know about emotional trauma. I need to know about belief structures. I need to understand hierarchical value systems. How do we change? How do we really rewire this thing? Because this outside-in model isn't working. I don't get it. This this whole mindset thing that I thought I had mastered, and everyone talks about mindset, 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 and mindset has its value. Unfortunately, most of the self-help and self-development world is approached from the outside-in model. Well, that doesn't work. It's like throwing a BB against a freight train and expecting the beating the freight train to stop. It just bounces right off and you go right back to doing what you're doing. You would know that as New Year's resolutions or, hey, I'm trying to lose some weight or, you know, I'm trying to change this negative habit that I have about myself or my self-judgment. It didn't work that way. And so Doc um, changed the course of my life. And that moment on, I, I dropped golf for about two years and said, I don't want to touch a golf club. I need to figure out what's going on here. And through that process, uh, I found my passion, which I've been in for 31 years now, and obviously became a doctor myself two times over and you know, done my work in that space and still am to this day. But I also took it to many other realms. I ended up writing my dissertation on golf, ironically. Uh, it was called, Are You Afraid of the Bogeyman? And it was a psychological study on the effects of the mental side of golf from cognitive psychology, clinical hypnotherapy, and NLP on the game. And I proved through my, my results that we can improve your game roughly three to five strokes. It was actually 4.3, uh, three to five strokes in 30 days without any physical practice. Now, there's been many studies that have been done before. The famous Harvard study from the 70s had done that, but no one had really, really taken it to golf from that perspective. You know, that it was just that space. And it be, kind of came my, my base plate of, hey, wait a minute, if we can do it in golf, we can do this anywhere. We can do it anywhere, in business. Yeah. We can do it with our body. We can do it in our relationships. We can do it in our parenting. And that's been the literally puns intended the quest of my last 31 years with myself and my partners is one is to get the self-help industry to stop helping you do the same stupid stuff over and over again, because that's what self-help tends to do as opposed to self-transformation, becoming with conscious competence to transform myself into that which I truly want to become from what I really want, not what I think I've been told I'm supposed to want or I should want according to someone else's set of rules. And here we are now 31 years later, you know, I'm an Emmy award-winning producer. Uh, I've won more than 30 different tele awards and communicator awards on how do we translate and make all of this what seems like really heady, really deep rabbit high holes. High level. Sounds, it yeah. sounds really high level. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I can give you the really clinical thing. People are like, well, Travis, what do you really do? I'm like, well, I do a thing called reverse hypnotic thematic learning through, th- through synthesiastic movement. And people go, what? I'm like, cool. <laughs> How about this? How about you can transform yourself and make it fun? And they go, got it. I'm like, great. That's so, yeah. <laughs> right. And so thematic learning really says, wait a minute, it's a sequencing problem that has been the challenge of most of our, our, our challenges in life. Because again, we're, we're all taught this kind of innocuous statement, mind, body, spirit, in that order. 
As I said a moment ago, though, if mind goes against itself, which it does 99% of the time, it's really just mental masturbation. You just go in loops and loops and loops and loops and loops, loops, thinking that we're actually transforming. And instead, we stay awake at three in the morning. We're staring at ceiling fans, playing the what if game, kind of a future past sequencing through anxiety or, or repetition of stress already done. But it doesn't transform us. It just ages us. And I saw what, what my training has been and my experimentation through my training over the last 30 years with over a million people tested now and done in real time is it's themes. If we get to the theme first and we switch this mind-body thing up on reverse, hit the theme first, then the emotional trauma reveals itself. The subconscious then pulls out all the past sequences that are related to that and you can reorg it. And now the conscious mind itself, the mind resets itself. And now your mindset is in, and I, I'll use this term because it's woo-woo and sounds really cool, in alignment. It was always in alignment. We just chose to fight ourselves. And that's really what we do at the quest. And so the ultimate business quest, the ultimate body quest, and the ultimate relationship quest is what if we made business fun again? What if we made changing your body fun again? And what if we made making a relationship or the pursuit of the relationship we want fun? Because fun is a theme. And it's something that is an abundance. It's something you can't run out of. It's something you can do. And every person on this planet, and again, I'm talking in generalities, but in a strong generality comment, everybody knows how to have fun. No one needs to teach you how to have fun. You've spent 17 years of your first part of your life learning how to be fun. And then someone came along with this really wacko idea and says, hey, doc, here's what I need you to do. I need you to stop having fun and become an adult. And you got to go figure out what you want for the rest of your life. Yeah, they beat it out of you, right? I always right. think that's a shame that little kids are so free and so confident. Right. And so, you know, I saw it in my own children. They were just such beautiful people right. until they got to be about eight or 10 and the school kids beat the crap out of them and the teachers beat the crap out of them. And they kind of, you know, basically ruined their, you know, wonderful spirits. And then they spend the rest of their life trying to get that back. So explain that to me. Yeah. Explain that, that whole theme thing. Like I don't know what that means. Yeah, sure. So when we look at the the structurals of who we are, there are themes, right? There's, I have an anger theme. I have a fun theme. I have a passion theme, but these themes are buried through what I call compression, suppression, and oppression. Not unlike what you just talked about with your children. And I think if we're really going to be all of the listeners and anybody listening to your show, if we really are going to be honest with ourselves, school does have that effect. And it's not that school is seeking to do that in a militant way, but they have this ideology that's run by administrators that says, hey, we need test taking for tax dollars because that's what the real importance is. It's not about learning. And yet we've been told, go have fun, go play. You only get to be a kid once, you know, that old uh, John Cougar Mellon Camp song, you know, changes come around real soon to make us women and men after you're 16. Yeah. Okay, here's why. Because we're told to have fun. We're told to ignite our imagination. If you believe it, you can conceive it. If you're, or excuse me, if you conceive it, you can you believe it, you can achieve it. We're told all these great things. And then somewhere right around mid-high school, it gets really intense. Okay. Julie, you need to figure out what you want to do with the rest of your life. What's your going to college you're going to go to? What major you're going to do? What kind of lifestyle? How are you going to live all that? I don't know. Money. That's always the thing. Right. Are you going to make right. money? How are, you going to, how are you going to make money? I'm like, I don't have a printing press, so I can't make it. I can earn it. That's different. But we say things like that, and we don't really pay attention to the psycholinguistics that we program ourselves with because it sounds like common vernacular. And it is. The problem is this thing down here, the subconscious doesn't understand that intention. Right. Conscious intention is a conscious intention, but conscious intention is still derived from this emotional trauma and the trauma that we all go through, which sounds like it's not a woo woo martyrism or victim. It is a true trauma that we're all told to suck it up, 
get grow up, be an adult. But here's the problem. How many happy adults do you know? I don't know a lot of happy adults. I know a lot that play that they're happy, but they always want something more. They're striving for more, which tells me happiness is a projection. It's part of you, don't get me wrong, but it's not a state of being where it's a theme where you're generally happy. Okay, here's why. Going back into part of my story that I I skip over until this part, which is P.T. Barnum had a big influence on me when I was 13 years old. I got really fascinated with showmanship. How do you make something last 110 years without the internet, Without all this hype, you know, we've got phones and he didn't have squat. He had him and, and people. And yet he did something really powerful. And if you've ever, you know, heard his famous quote is, you know, his famous quote is, you know, the most noblest of arts is the art of making people happy. And I don't know how to make people happy, Doc, but I can tell you, I know, I know how to make you have a hell of a lot of fun. And so I looked at the theme of happiness. And if you looked at the theme of happiness, many of us aren't really happy. We have moments of happiness, but we can't control them. We can't stay in that happiness state. We can't constantly be there, yet you can with fun. Even in a most conflicted state, in conflict resolution is, how do I make this fun? And you ask yourself that because you spent 17 years on average from the date of your birth till roughly till you graduated high school in a state of fun, in generalities. That was your general theme. So you spent 17 years mastering something and then you're told to abandon that which you mastered. That makes no sense. So now we just spent 17 years mastering. We throw that out the door and say, okay, now I'm going to start from day one, going to college or university or getting a job or getting married or having kids, whatever it is you do after high school. Right. Now I'm going to be serious, but I have no idea how to be serious. I am just totally full of crap. I'm making it up on the fly, which is contrarian because when you were making it up on the fly as a kid, you were praised for it. But when you do it as an adult, you're considered a dreamer. You're considered one of those people that's fringy. You know, maybe you're a, a gypsy. And I'm like, really? Didn't we just spend 17 years mastering that? So part of what we teach in a fun way is that which you consider the misfit in you, the geek, the dork, the band person, the athlete, the cheerleader, whatever band. it was. Yeah, I'm right here. I told you, I'm the, band, I'm the king band. of the dork. I still love right? band. Right. I mean, I want to be in an adult band. I want to get that going. I want to be in an adult band. Everybody wants to be a rock star, right? Everybody (laughs) wants Nickelback, the famous song. Everybody wants to be a rock star. And so, you know, like me, I I was, I was quarterback, but I was also a golfer. That's dichotomous as it comes. Yet I was also, you know, I was the head of the pep committee. And then I was a cheerleader my senior year because I said, why not? And it was the exploration of fun. What would it be like if, and instead of just fantasizing about it was actualizing it. But then you, from that theme, you learn, and you've heard this term, but it's called immersion therapy. And that's the way we learn the fastest. So now we get into self-development, we get into business development, we get into in entrepreneurialism, you know, business leadership, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They have no clue how to do this. None, none, zero. Even if you go to university, most of it's based on theory, not reality outside the gates. So we get outside, we're highly educated, but we're life stupid. And we're, the problem is we're 24, 25, 26 years old, and we're expected to be good at something. How? Good at what? I'm good at taking orders. I'm good at taking tests. I'm good at managing my time, maybe. But I really don't know me yet. And that's the fundamental problem. And then knowing yourself usually comes after I've taken care of the kids, I've paid the mortgage, or you know I've gotten myself settled. I'm in this kind of lifestyle. And you wake up and you're 40, 45 years old, and we have that proverbial midlife crisis. I'm like, Midlife crisis is really just your subconscious going, are you done trying to be an adult? Can we go back to being you? Stop acting on your own play. And so what really makes business fun again is what if we took 
that, that highly clinical thing that I said, you know, reverse, reverse hypnotic thematic learning through synthesiastic movement. And we use it in a fun way. And what that really means is we have, you know, over 50 years of clinical data that says, look, Doc, if we put you into a fantasy state, if I put you into an immersionary state, if I put you into a game, if I put you into a fun realm, you will learn instantly and adapt on the fly because you're not cognitively in your own way of thinking and thinking, well, I don't know how to do this. What if I look like a you know idiot? Adonim? You just do. No different than we did when you were a master at seven, you know, the first 17 years of your life. And it reactivates this part of you that's down here that has been compressed and suppressed and stuffed down under our need to be an adult. And here's the problem. That's not fun. I don't know. I don't know many adults that are happy people. And I've traveled the world three times. I've been in front of a million people and still going. And yeah, a lot of people go, Travis, you know, you, you know, you act like you're 16. I'm like, why not? Why wouldn't you? Remember, if we're going to be fundamentally, and I, and I quote the great Alan Watts on this, life doesn't define death. Death defines life. Death is imminent. Life is a choice. And when we choose to sit there and say, well, I've got to be an adult. I've got to be serious. I'm not saying there aren't serious things you aren't going to deal with, but you can still make them fun. It is the drama. It is the taking ourselves down the proverbial rabbit holes. It is the need to live up to this actualized or unactualized potential that we think we have hidden in the, on the bench, which is already there. We just, it's just we're telling ourselves something different. And moreover, giving ourselves permission to play, to play again, because let's be candid. You became a veterinarian, all of your listeners became in that space and whatever line of work they're in, you know, if you're not in a veterinarian space, you got into it because that was your passion and that's what you wanted to do. But you also did it because you wanted the freedom to go do what you wanted to do when you were done, because that's what being an entrepreneur and a CEO and a business leader really is. The theme is freedom. But yet most of us get into that thing and we get so self-hypnotized, so self-absorbed, so myopic that we forget that the reason we were doing this is something else. And that's something else gets really just kind of put on the sidelines. And so one day we wake up and go, crap, I'm 60 years old. I better, you know, I better get in the game. There's only, there's only so many days left before, you know, the big guy comes and big guy's not negotiable. It's like, this is happening, whether you like it or not. And that's a scary thought, but, you know, Alan uh, said something that was really powerful uh, many, many decades ago, but what he said was really cool. He goes, you know, everybody should do this one thing. And it's probably the scariest thing you'll ever do. And that is sit down for a moment and contemplate that one day you're going to go to sleep and never wake up in this body again. Contemplate that and then step back from that moment, that fear mech, which fear is also a theme, and look how that fear, how you've thought in every way possible to self-hypnotize, to self-dilute, to self-absorb, to self-distract, that that event is going to occur. And we all do it, myself included. The difference is, if you look at it from that point of view as Alan presented, and you look at it from the death versus life versus life versus death point of view, you go, okay, this is an imminent thing, then I'm going to go have fun. And what it does is it moves you back into your true mastership. And see, I believe we're all misfit masters. And that's a beautiful compliment and a beautiful way to put it. Because your misfitness, that thing that we stuffed down, that geek, that dork, that band, that athlete, that whatever you were labeled as, that you felt judged as a teenager or an adolescent, and you know you did some subconscious modeling to fit in, is exactly what your mastership is and your business needs, what your relationship needs, what your body needs for the imminent freedom for you to go have fun. And until you pop that cork, uh, literally pop it out, you know, you're really walking around at war with ourselves. And I think a lot of us do that. I know I did when I was, you know, Dr. Fox and thought I knew something in my young thirties, you know, cause I played the role. I was on television all the time. I was a film and television, growing up in film and television. And, you know, when you're on camera, it's sound bites. 
okay, I've got to give you quick little answers, these little thing bits, you know, so that this, this show is going to tell you how to do it. That's total hogwash. It's not the truth. It's just giving you stuff to make you feel better. No different than a dopamine pot. It's just a little, oh, I feel better now because death is still coming. And I'm not trying to be morbid about death in any way, doc, or to your listeners, but I am trying to impress upon the point of, hey, fam, what if we approach life from a fun point of view? You can still be very professional what you do. I am, but you can still have fun at it. You can still enjoy your time while you're doing it, have fun at it. Because if you don't have fun, what's the point? I mean, what's the point? Isn't the whole point of Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you. It is the whole point. And I think on some level, the reason that a lot of us got into veterinary medicine is because we so much enjoyed those animals. You know, we enjoyed the animals. We enjoyed the pet people. We enjoyed, you know, that kind of um, human animal bond relationship. But then, like you said, we, we kind of lose it because then we're in the seriousness of the profession. So if somebody's out there and let's say they're, I don't know, in their thirties or, you know, they're younger than we are and they're (laughs) kind of like, no offense, I'm older than you, (laughs) but anyway, um, if they're out there and they are kind of buried in this mindset for better choice of words of not having fun, like, how do you start that? Like, how do you, what's a, what's a good first step for them to take, to try to say, okay, today I'm going to have fun. Like I'm going to hug the puppies and I'm going to get on the floor and I'm going to talk in a baby talk voice because that's what I like to do with the animals. I talk baby talk. Puppy breath is the best. I mean, I love puppy breath. When I'm on a key, my my Japanese fluence, I had 13 champion Akitas. And so I love. Oh, Akitas are cool. Yeah. I love Akitas, right? And obviously, you know, Japanese dogs. But, you know, puppy breath is like that. If you could bottle that, you mean you'd be a gazillionaire (laughs) because everyone loves puppy breath. Make a lot of money, right? Right. Absolutely. And so the first thing that we do in the, in the business and body quest is what if we went a different direction? What if we said, let's go into a synthesiastic movement, which is really a cool way of saying, put you in the fantasy realm. Fantasy realm is a, uh, can be anything in the subcontinent or even deeper now the emotional traumatic level. But one of our, 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 our founding partners and a dear friend of mine, his name is Aaron Huey, developed an archetypal system that goes way beyond what Carl Jung did in the hero's journey. And there's 64 different archetypes in the system. And what it allows us to do is to start understanding how we work. Because the illusion is you're just Julie. I'm just Travis as the singular entity. That's completely physics doesn't back that up. Science doesn't back it up. Psychology doesn't back it up. We're many parts. We're many personality parts running around. In fact, by the time we're 40, there's about 40 different things running around in our head. And it doesn't mean you're nuts or you're psychotic, although you know that does happen sometimes, in the world. Sometimes you feel that way, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And that's there's a personality part that loves to judge that. Uh, you know, Travis, I think you've actually gone bananas. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate you've that. You've gone Dr. one Dr. step too far. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I'm like, according to whose rules exactly, but okay, got it. But what do we do is we put you in a fantasy play. Because if you're going to play a game, you got to know what character you're going to be. So the first thing we do is you do your archetypal quiz. And it's done, you answer, your subconscious answers is automatic, which is so cool because often who we think we are and who we are tends to be a little bit of a gap, right? And that presents your first noticeability of, ooh, ooh, I'm not really on point with myself. So we first discover, are you a warrior? Are you a wizard? Are you a bard? Or are you a jester? And then you take this business quest and it's fully adventurized, fully gamified. In fact, it feels like this total fantasy of why am I doing all this? This doesn't even feel real until it just shows up in your life. And that's what makes this such a cool experience. And according to everything that we've been told and learned, we are the first app of its kind where we've actually combined business and uh, gameplay and actually put it together where you're learning, but it doesn't feel like you're learning because learning for most of us sucked. 
It was a terrible thing. We sat in school, you know. And Took a lot of tests, that, memorized a right. lot of stuff. Those of us exactly. that went through vet school did that at nauseum. Right. Any school for that matter. I mean, even, even psych, I was like, I don't, why am I over here taking geology? I, I don't care. It has nothing to do with what I'm doing. Right. right. So I think the fundamental thing that we do that is really, well, I know there's many things we do fundamentally, but really fundamentally from an educational point of view is that this whole concept that you need to be a well-rounded person. And that's what university does just needs to be abolished. It is the dumbest thing you could do in history. And here's why well-rounded people just keep rolling around doing the same crap over and over and over again. The people who are hyper-focused, which is what we're seeing now post this COVID scenario with this young generation, because they've had two years to sit there and grow the great university of YouTube or whatever. And they focus on what they want, crypto or NFTs or whatever they're doing. And they're masters at it. Boom. Because we were already masters when we came in. And then we went over to this school of hard knocks where we had to learn mastership and mastership takes about 10,000 hours, as they say, you know, well, that's another 10,000 hours I've already spent. And what if I never master it? Well, crap, life goes by like that. So the first thing we do is put you in fantasy play, discover who you are. And when you understand it, it makes it fun. So when you go, okay, I meet Dr. Julie for the first time, don't know her from a hole in the ground, walked up, we had a cup of coffee, how are you supposed to? So how are you? What do you do for a living? How many kids do you have? Boring, nobody cares, right? We've all done these these same cocktail party things that just, we're done. If I have to hear that one more time, I'm gonna go jump off a bridge myself without a parachute. Let's have some fun. And I can look and go, oh, got it. I understand, Julie. I know how I can ask two questions and they're fun questions. And I go, oh, she's a wizard. Well, what do wizards do? Well, when you understand how the archetypes work, you go, oh, well, wizards are the geniuses. They're the ones that sit in the, the spires of the castle and they, they think things up and they conjure it up. They're the Einsteins of the world, the Stephen Hawking's of the world, or perfect examples, the Steve Jobs of the world that come up with these things. But there's a flaw because there's always a balance in the, in the universe between the yin and the yang, the light and the dark, however you want to call it. And it's not opposing, it's complementary. And that's a whole nother ideology that needs to finally be abolished. Light and dark don't oppose each other. They work together. Just look at the universe. But we've, we've couched it in some ideologies, and often it's religion or culture, that they are opposing forces as opposed to complementary forces. So when you look at the wizard, you go, the wizard's brilliant. But the wizard also knows how to find the flaw. So, for example, because that's what they do. That's how they figure things out. They look at it and go, you know, that's a great idea, Julie, that's it, that, that, but that's what you need to change. And if you're not prepared and don't understand that that's them operating in their misfit mastership, well, we get offended. Well, what the hell do you know? I went to DVM school and da-da-da-da-da, and you're this and the end of that. And they're like, yeah, but that's true, but they're operating in their mastership. But we get all offended because we don't understand what they're saying to us is them being themselves, right? And then... And so what really becomes fun about it is then you start to see, oh, well, you're a wizard too. You're just a wizard in different areas of your life than that person may be exercising their wizard. And then the endeavor is in the adventure through the entire realm that you go through on the, on the ultimate business quest is to balance your archetypes so that you are, you know, when you're the warrior and you can call it on command, you know, when you need to drop into wizard, call it on command or the bard or the jester. And you have this balance called BPR, which is business personal relationship. And often those three pillars get out of balance. We focus on the business so much that our body starts to take the hit until we finally go, you know, I got this ring around my belly. I better get in the gym and da, 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 da. But we didn't think about that when we were kids because we we're so busy having fun. Our body naturally had movement. We naturally expelled the adrenaline. We naturally, heck, our parents used to have to drive us around in the car to put us to sleep because we were so wired because we had so much natural, you know, dynamic, kind of like a dynamo. We created our own energy source. But as we get older and move in more mature space, we stop moving. 
And then things get stuck. Emotions get stuck. Energy gets stuck. And science has now finally proven that, hey, guess what, kids? We are an electrical vehicle. This body is completely like a parasympathetic, sympathetic system. And so when you look at that, you go, well, wait a minute. I now know when to do it. Well, what does that do? When I balance those four, now I truly move into the king and queen realm. And the mythical of the king and queen is the king and queen can always call on the warriors to go out and defend the realm or you know, to take on new territories, to create business deals, right? You, and it doesn't have to be fight. It's not conflict. That's not what warrior means, although that's what a lot of people think it means, right? Or I, when do I pull my wizards in so I can get good advice and really listen? Hey, doc, I know you're a super wizard. I need some help on this. And when you throw that question at that wizard, you know you're going to get back the intimate details and you're, they're going to find the flaws for you. But instead of being offended, you're, you're like grateful, like, yes. Thank you, because I needed that wizardry to see it. And then you have the bards. These are your messengers. These are your, your thespians. These are the people that feel other people's energy, and they can move. They can go, oh, okay, the audience needs to go a little bit more somber, or the audience needs to go to more excitement. And they become your salespeople, your ambassadors, your messengers of your, your culture, of your company. And then you have the jesters. And the jesters are the ones that really keep us grounded because they're not, they understand that life is much bigger than how much money you make, what is your social clouds, and how many kids do you have? They understand that this is a journey at a, at a quasi-spiritual level, however you define spirituality. And they make great advisory board members because one thing they're always good at is direction. They know the direction that keeps you in authenticity. They know the direction of the theme that we're doing as a company, as a culture, as a product. And so when you start building your culture, now instead of hiring to resume, you're hiring to the archetype. You're going, oh, yeah, Dr. Julie's got an amazing resume. Got more letters behind her name than she's got in her freaking name. But I also know she's a wizard. So I need her to be over here with the wizard so that when I ask this question, I'm going to get that feedback of reality. Then I can take it over to my warriors and say, okay, you guys are my salespeople. You guys are my operations guys. You guys... This is the data the wizards have given us. Now go do it. Okay, bards, this is what I want you to craft the message for. Jesters, is this the direction of true north? And now all of a sudden you're moving like the Greek uh, Spartan phalanx. You're all moving in the same direction, but your mastership is in line. And now you start applying that to sales. How do you hire and fire? How do you conquer a conflict resolution? How do you conquer the top seven fears you know, that we all go through, which is public speaking, fear of success, fear of failure, hypochondria, et cetera. How do I build a business that becomes a brand. And there's a big difference between those two things. Many people probably listening to this, great doctors, amazing veterinarians, can do things that are way beyond my pay grade, but are, is it, are you married to your business? If you leave, can the business survive? Then that's a business, that's not a brand. A brand gives you a different availability. It allows you to scale. It allows you to make deeper wealth, uh, asset protection, et cetera, et cetera, because you're moving to a different space, but you have to know how to do that. And again, that isn't taught in traditional education. It's generally taught school of hard knocks. What if you made that fun too? So the whole adventure was what if we gamified it? Because the one of the things that I've struggled with is, yeah, I'm a, I'm a great teacher. I can be on stage of thousands and thousands of people, but if I'm not on stage, then it doesn't work. You can't how scale. Can you make me. It? Yeah. How can you scale it? Right. I'm, so, so let me stop you for a minute so I can yeah, truly no. understand this. So these, the wizards and the jesters and the bards and all of that, how does that um, process to kind of figure out what you are, where you operate, how does that differ from like personality profiling or, you know, things like DISC and Myers-Briggs? And because I'm really interested in all that. So when yeah. you start saying this, I'm like, oh, I want to know what I am now. You know, I like that, right. that really interests me because I, I love to use people's personalities to kind of work as a team. So can you explain that to me? So I Absolutely. understand. 
personality profiling puts you in a in a, a different kind of box and it says this is your profile this is who you are archetypal structuring and how we do personality typing is completely different it says this is a part of who you are because okay. the ultimate objective in in your archetypal symbology and how we do this and how Aaron's really developed that system and how we apply it with my side on the clinical side is, hey, there is no such thing as this is who you are. That's who you are the moment you took the Myers-Briggs. And let's be candid, Myers-Briggs was a corporate ideology. It wasn't really designed for what it has become in its hierarchy. Right. This is the Myers-Briggs. I'm like, no, no, it was a good sales thing. Cut the crap, guys. It worked, <laughs> but it's it, this whole quadrant thing. And I, I just, just, I feel well, like I, they all kind of help you figure out more about yourself. That that's how I look at do. it. Yeah, they they give you a blueprint, but they most people I have found, and maybe you have as well, maybe your audience has, is the moment they say, Well, I've done my Myers break, I'm this and that, and I'm that, they go, that's who I am. And they lock onto it like that's it. It is the right. concrete thing, which immediately negates your malleability, your neuroplasticity, your ability to learn, because you go, well, no, I'm this. Like, no, you're not. You're anything you choose to be. The difference is if we're going to play the law of attraction, if we're going to play your religious uh, uh, influence, you're going to play your cultural influence, you are all of them. And your truest journey through business or through your body or through your relationship or through your parenting is to explore all of you in a creationary fun theme. Fun is the easiest one because you can't run out of it. It's always a base plate that anybody could drop into, which is where I tend to live because. I've done the serious thing. I've done the boardroom things. I've done, I've done the, I and don't fun like fun is it. more fun. <laughs> and hey, wait for it, kids. Time flies when you're having fun, right? And you're not having fun. It's forever. And we did that in school. We've done that at work and we've done it. Um, so what archetyping does is it allows us to move into a fantasy play. Remember, you spent 17 years mastering fantasy, mastered gameplay. You knew it. No one had to teach it to you. It was ingrained in your DNA. I mean, hell, it was damn near epigenetic if you want to go down that road too. And we abandoned it. Why? Because someone told us to, and we believed it. And because we are really good creators and we don't realize that we are, we're also very good at auto hypnosis. We hypnotize ourselves every single day and don't even realize we're doing it. Because people think hypnosis is this or the watch or look at my eye. That's total hogwash. None of it has to do with anything. It's just Hollywood doing some metaphoric adjustment to it. So when we look at it, if we made it fun and we drop you into a thing, like you said, I want to know if I'm a warrior wizard bar. Because I've had people all the time. I'll go, so what do you think you are? And they'll go, well, I'm a warrior. I'm, I'm, I'm just a warrior. Mostly. <laughs> it men. just sounds men, fun, like, right? <laughs> right. Sounds, I'm a warrior. I'm like, are you really? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm, are you sure about that? And then they they go in. They, the first thing you do is when you jump into the, you know, to the, the quest, is you do that and you find out what character you're going to play the realm in. What you don't realize uh, overtly, and even when you're in it, even when you hear me tell you it, people still don't realize it until much later into the quest that you're actually developing all of the four archetypes. Now there's, again, there's 64 in our system, but obviously we start with the first four, the primary. And the whole objective of the first quest is to claim your throne. Now that's where we really reignite your passion and you understand your purpose. And now you start to have a vision and a mission that leads to what is the legacy of your life? What does that look like for you? Now you're not going to do the legacy in, in first quest. That's unrealistic, but you are going to claim your throne because what has happened is most of us have dethroned ourselves. We've, we've deauthorized ourselves. We've decommissioned ourselves as the king and queen of our own life. For example, we get into the thing where, you know, I don't know how to make a decision, doc. You know, I don't know what to do. And we'll call 15 people and get 15 opinions about what we think we might should do. You get 15 different observations. And then we're more confused than when we start. We forget the ability to trust our own instincts, to trust ourselves. 
and to listen because the deepest part of the value, the legacy is, did you actually experience everything that you wanted to experience? Did you explore? Now let's be metaphoric about the castle of you. Most of us have a dungeon. It's down there in your castle. We just don't like to talk about it, which is why it's below surface level. It's dark. That's what we can do. Yeah. <laughs> and it's dark and it's bad and it's evil. And that's where the, you know, our secrets live. Here's the irony. Do you ever notice that a lot of things we do are in the dark? We go to dining clubs in the dark. We go to restaurants that are tend to be a darker, it's intimate environment. You know, we tend to have sex in the bedroom and the lights tend to be off. We do all these things in the dark and why? Because we don't want it to come to light. We don't want that truth to be seen because we might get judged. We might judge ourselves. We might not be ready to handle what's down there, like our, our shame or our guilt or our frustration or not lived up to our potential. I'm a freak. I'm a weirdo. Whatever misfit you've judged yourself on. And here's the problem. We tend to become, and this is the irony, we become two people. We become who we present to the world. Well, I go to, you know, I go to my, my, my religious thing on whatever day, Saturday or Sunday, whatever your religious ideology is. I pay my taxes and I've got my 2.1 kids, my cat, my dog and my house and my mortgage, my husband or my wife. And we're a perfect little family. Boring. And we know that's not true. But we present that because we want to subconsciously model and fit in. And remember, fitting in family is where you actually took yourself out of mastership. And I'm not saying you need to be contrarian or rebellion to be rebellious sake. I'm saying be you. Because at the end of the day, and again, we're going back to Alan Watts, the great fundamentalist. If we look at that, at the end of the day, the only regret that you can't undo is that you can't undo what you didn't do. I mean, you didn't do it. And you can't go back and do it again. And we all know that cognitively, but we're so good at hypnotizing ourselves, we forget it. And we get so so afraid. We're so afraid of making a mistake or we're afraid of trying right. things and because right. we we're afraid of going foolish we might fall right. you know and, and yet, again, like you said and, with kids they do all that stuff they don't care don't care how many times we fall down as a kid get down what our parents say get up get your skin your knee, move on and we did and now all of a sudden we're like well i you know i can't go out there julie because i might you know i might hurt my knee and you know, i'm getting yeah. older yeah. Did you hear what you just said to yourself? Are you out of your mind? What are you talking about? You just told yourself you were going to fall. You told yourself you were brittle. Come on. And that's where the body's out of balance. And so part of what makes it unique is our CEO, you know, if, when you hear her story, which makes mine look like, you know, I, I live in a circus compared to what she's gone through. She's just, I mean, she's, you know, a sex trafficking survivor. She was a drag racer at the age of 16. She is a CEO. She's a COO. She's a mother of two. She's a full-time bodybuilder and competitive bodybuilder and runs this company with all of us knuckleheads. And her whole thing is, look, if you're not balancing the BPR, if you're not, and the reason we also start with the body and the business simultaneously is because your body is the driver that drives your business. Meaning if you don't feel good, you don't feel like your body is growing, you're active and you can keep up with the the pace and the stress that you choose to put upon yourself, your business will fail. Mm -hmm. It will always fail. That's something you you need to say again, because I think people need to hear it. You have to take care of yourself first, right? You got to take care of your body. Oh, well, wait a minute, doc. Let's play. Let us play Dr. Fox for a moment and have some more yeah, fun. Yeah, please do. If you, take care of, if you take care of yourself, doc, you're a narcissist. You're self-centered. You're egoic. You put yourself first. We're taught, even in our religion, put everybody else before yourself. Here's the fundamental problem with that. And I'm talking to, and I'll be, I'm going to be genderizing for a moment. Ladies, this whole ideology that you guys have to take care of everybody else, take care of us knuckleheads, I'm talking about the guys now. Yes, guys, guys I am talking about us. Yep. You got to take care of the kids. You got to take care of the house. You got to take care of your job. And then whatever's left over with energy, then you might go take care of yourself. Does not 
work. It's huge it too. That's a huge thing. I deal with it and almost everyone that I coach. They right. have such a hard time putting themselves first. Because we're programmed, do unto others, take care of everybody else. Your job is this and whatever's left over, which more often than not is, you know, maybe 10% if I'm going to give a, 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 a number to it and I'm being generous with that, we're exhausted. So we'll do things like, oh, well, I'm going to go take a bath. Well, that's great, but that's not movement. That's gesturizing. I need the warrior in you to go take a walk the warrior will get you to do it because the warrior is the heart of your castle. The warrior is what makes this whole legacy thing work. The warrior is who ascends to become the king and the knight, right? When you look at the archetype, you go, wait a minute. Warrior doesn't mean fight, which is what men tend to think, right? Where I got to go fight. And the truth be told, women sometimes are often better warriors than men because they're a wizard warrior because warrior means heart. And it takes heart to sit there and go 12, 13, 14 hours a day and take care of everybody else but yourself. Because that means your heart's driving it. And when you start to connect with these things, you go, well, wait a minute. I've got some, I've got programming that says I'm X, Y, or Z. And there's nothing wrong with that programming. It's, is that what you really want? If you had 30 days left to live, is that exactly who you want to be? Have you experienced you in your totality? Or are you just full of crap lying to yourself? And then you have to ask yourself, why am I lying to myself? What's the benefit of that? Whom am I kidding? But then you ask yourself, then I'm looking at my father pillar, my mother pillar. I'm looking at my religious influence, my culture. We call the four pillars, which makes up your subconscious modality structure. And so when we take all that and we deconstruct it, you don't have to spend years in therapy. You don't need to spend years going to every woo-woo camp you've ever been to. And I've been woo-woo too, because woo-woo sounded really fun and like, well, doggone it. You know, woo-woo just, sometimes is fun. <laughs> woo has its fun moments, but let's be candid. You can't live there either. It's right. just the extreme of stress. It's just, you know, that opposite. And that's okay. Experience it, but experience it when you're choosing to be a jester. And then when you're done, okay, now you can move into your wizard. So for example, we all, all of us in, uh, in the quest, we all work out. She's the competitor. We're not, we all stay in shape. We have a supplement company and our supplement company is so the warrior, the wizard, and they all match because it's all brand centric. So it goes to feed that part of your personality and your body that needs that part of the energy through the supplements. So they're all custom designed for that purpose. And people are like, well, wait a minute, how can you guys be on the business side? You're gaming and, and tech and app and, and corporate training, but you're also supplements, Mike, because the body is the one that's in the middle. It's the bridge. You can't have a relationship with anyone if your body's, you just don't have your sex drive goes away. Your physicality goes away. It just stops. And when you go, this whole ideology that as we get older, things get slower is just hogwash. It's crap. Go all the way back to Jack Lane. Look at Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's in his mid seventies. He's still a badass. Jack Lane. That's a really that's a really far back. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, I'm dating myself, but Jack Lane had that. You know, he was the first. Yeah, one yeah. He, had, really, he looked great forever, right? Oh yeah, he always did, and he was always upbeat. Mm-hmm. But he was also a good businessman. I mean, how many times right. have we got this juicer? We all bought his juicer. Yeah, Why? And Arnold. His, yeah. Because his body represented something that was contrarian to what we're told bodies do. I'm like, well, God, you can read any theological text. And, you know, the people of those times lived eight, 900 years old. How come we only live to 80 or 90? Mm, there's something out of whack here. So when we start looking at these things. We're like, well, but if I come to you and I say, okay, doc, here's the deal. I need to, I want your business to grow by 30%. I need your sales to do this. I need your company culture to change. We need your hiring and firing process to minimize because you're costing yourself $30,000 every time you hire and fire somebody. That's problematic. And I need your body to be in shape. And I need you to start taking care of you. And I need to work. I want you to work on your relationship with your significant other. You're going to go, I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah, you're exactly right. We're back to the BB and the freight train again. 
bang, I throw a BB at you, it's going to bounce right off of you because this brain has been built like a castle. It's designed to fortify and keep things out as we get older. It's called the guard. And so we guard ourselves from change and our neuroplasticity, as we all know scientifically, is there all the time, but we tell ourselves we can't change. We tell ourselves, you know, an old, you can't teach an old dog new tricks if I can use the veterinarian joke. I'm like, says who? I'm like, that's not true. Pavel Pavlov proved that with the Pavlovian experiences. We can create ourselves in conditions, but what we have to do is we have to fundamentally, thematically shift. That's the only way we'll move. The only way I have found now in 31 years, and again, I've gone around the world three times. I still do it every day with my team or everywhere. We go, wait a minute. If I don't get you into a fun state, you ain't going to do it. You'll come and hang out with us for a while. You'll give me the woo-woo and you'll write down your little goals and you'll put your vision board together and you go right back Monday morning to do the same crap you did before you ever met us because you never got fundamentally, thematically shifted. So when we shift you into fun, there's this cool little thing that happens. One, you have a good time. What a concept. Two, you're learning the way you're designed to learn because it's an inside-out modality. But if I came to you and say, well, we need to go sit on the side of a mountain and wear an orange robe and shave your head and sit there and chant for 15 hours, you're going to go, well, that's fun for about three days. I'm done. As opposed to saying, what if we put it in fantasy play? Let's look at your wizard for a second. Where does your wizard show up in your life? Okay, cool. Now, where do you judge the wizard and who's judging? Is it the warrior that's having an argument? Is it your bard? Is it your jester saying, hey, you're really, you know. And then now all of a sudden, we're reorganizing your emotional and your subconscious simultaneously, but in a whole new fun way through the theme of fun. And if it's fun, then it's not scary. And if it's not scary, you'll do it. And if, and if you're doing it, then you're embracing it. Now, all of a sudden, it moves from you know behavior to automation to habit and et cetera, et cetera. As and it opposed takes to the out judgment of out of it. The self-judgment kind of gets you out of that way of thinking. Um, Being in that. There's always gonna be, mind. Yeah, there's always going to be self-judgment. The funny thing is. Puns intended, how do you how do you interpret it? Meaning that who's interpreting the judgment? Because you're asking the wizard to judge itself. Because the wizard's the judger. The wizard finds the flaw. But instead of going, cool, I need my wizard to find the flaw in me. And it's not a flaw like you're bad. It's working towards your weakness for the balance. Because we get out of balance. But when moment we hear the word weakness, our, our egoic warrior goes, I'm not weak. What are you talking about, Fox? And I'm like, I'm out. I didn't say you were weak. I said, it's a weakness where you're out of balance. Weakness is analogous to my BPR, my business, my personal, my relationship are not in balance because if my kingdom's not in balance. And we know this through special forces training. When special forces go out and they go on to deployment, they are very, very well. Finances, relationship, kids all have to be balanced before they go out there. Because when they're out there, if you're not here, you die. Your teammate dies. It's the ultimate game. So when they're playing that game, their number one ideology is balance. And so it's a, it's a requirement, but they're trained in that. And they're the top 1% of the 1%. I have to know my son's also special forces, right? So when I look at that and we go, wait a minute, why are we doing that in our life? Now, play with me for a second. Back in school, you had this, we learned for a little bit. Oh, but then you had this thing called recess. Yes. Oh, <laughs> and then you had, wait for it, PE. Huh. Now, the schools have gotten a little out of balance as of late for obvious reasons, and, and for a while now, they've gotten out of balance. But we then all of a sudden forget all of that stuff. Well, I don't have time for my physical exercise. Well, then you wonder why your sex life's crap. I don't have time to take care of my body. You wonder why New Year's resolutions don't work, right? And every year, we, we, we constantly, and this is my favorite one, and I, and I do call it mental masturbation because we are just messing with our own heads. We're just like, ding, ding, ding. I'm going to do my New Year's resolutions, doc. I'm going to lose 21 pounds in 21 days. 
right. Call me seven days later and let me know how that works out for you because it doesn't sound like fun. It sounds like, wait for it, work. And work sucks. No one like, even veterinarians, even me, I don't couch what we do as work. We have fun doing what we do. Dell, right. could we qualify it with the IRS's work? Sure, it does, but it's not work. Now, wait for that. That ties back into an, a, a theme that we were all taught as kids. If you can find your passion, then the money will come. And or, it's not hey, work. Find, or, yeah, it's what not is that work. saying? If right. you, if you what find we, what you love, you never work a day in your life or something like that, right? And we all heard this throughout the ages. And this goes back, and we're talking centuries of theology and philosophy that has been brought down to us. And we do completely the opposite. We are contrarian. And then we sit there and wonder why we spend $936 billion, with a B, billion dollars a year on self-help. Self-help what? You don't need help. You're doing great. What you, what you really need is to start having fun again and have a blueprint and an adventure. Because let's be candid, boys and girls, life is an adventure. We all want to go on an adventure. We all go on these vacations with our friends where we generally do the same crap we do at home. We don't really go on adventures. You guys want to go on an adventure? Come on a quest adventure with us. That's an adventure. You're going to do things that are bucket list things. You know, you're going to do them. Why? Because it puts you in the theme. It's fun. And when you're having fun, you learn. When you learn, you adapt instantaneously. Instantaneously, it absorbs into your DNA. And next thing you know, you come back and your business has grown by 20 or 30% and you don't think you've done anything. Your hiring and firing process isn't so, so tell me, Dr. Julie, what qualifies you to work at our hospital? Boring, done, goodbye. Who cares? You're going to give you a pat answer because it's a pat question. We're not really having a conversation and we forget there is no such thing as a linear conversation. There's the conscious talking, the subconscious, the emotional traumatic level. And if you can go all the way down what we call the architect, you can call that spirit, chi, center, you can call it whatever you want. We call it the architectural level, the essence of you. There's four levels of conversation going on at any given moment. The question is, are we unconsciously unaware of what we're saying? Or are we consciously competent going, this is who I am. This is what I want to explore. This is, this is how I tend to default. So for example, when you're hiring and firing, you may hire someone because of the resume. But when they get into a stress mode, does that resume reflect who they really are? So you can't have a CMO, a chief marketing officer, who isn't a bard. Well, you have a CMO that moves into, let's say, warrior mode. Wow, well, wait a minute. I don't, I don't need a warrior when we're in a marketing space. I need a bard. But if you default to warrior in times of stress, it doesn't matter what your resume is. I got a warrior. Now I got a warrior who's going on the war path in my marketing strat and strategy or in, in damage control as opposed to my bard who's my messenger, who can feel the essence of what's going on and give the audience what they need to move to the, the objective target. So we start moving and hiring and firing like we're playing a game because let's cut the crap, kids. There is no winning. There is no winner in life. There is no, you get to save it and I got all the blue ribbons and the trophies. They're just monikers along the way. And again, I'm not making light of it. What I am trying to do is inviting you to have more fun with it because if you don't, the only regret is yours. And you can't undo that one. It's not undoable. At least I haven't found it. If it's out there, by all means, call me and I'll come work for you. I have never found the undoable, uh, get, get, get a regret, the undoable way to do it. It's, I've, I've watched many, many people and have the great honor of um, being with many people. They've taken their last breath. And there's a very strong experience that goes through that. And it was a great teaching experience. I invite everyone to do that. You know, I know that sounds odd to say it, but go hang out with it. And there's why. And I'm sure in veterinarian, I mean, I've, I've had to put, you know, dogs to sleep with veterinarians like yourself. Yeah. There is a palatable noticing when their spirit, their essence, their theme leaves that 
that animal's body. So if we know that as a fact and with them, it does with us. The difference is, you know, to the best of our knowledge, you're the vet, you tell me, but I don't think the animals have that same cognition of awareness of, oh, I regret this. I regret that I did do that. I wish I could have done that. They tend to be more present. And that's why we love being around animals. Mm-hmm. They're unconditionally present. Dogs, you can leave for five minutes and they'll come back like, oh my God, you, you've been gone forever. I love you. And you're like, I just left five minutes ago. But to the dog, they, they don't, don't know. care. Right. They don't care. How come we're not that way? How come? Because when we were kids, we were. And we this whole ideology that we have to be an adult is insane. It makes no sense. And yet we all know it here, but we're so stuck and programmed and carrying so much weight on our shoulders, puns intended, emotionally, psychologically, physically, sexually, psychosexually, we're in a space that we just stop. And then we wonder why our body starts to break and it gets brittle and it gets emotionally clogged. And we have to do all these things to quote unquote, wake ourselves up again. I'm like, you were never asleep. You just chose to be a different personality archetype. You could be over there being, you know, the necromancer. You could be over there being the Peter Pan. There's all these different experiences. And when you see it, it really demystifies all these gremlins in your head because those gremlins in your head are you. They are a part of you. And they're employed in a positive way when you understand when you're in that space and how to call on them. That's when you move to the king and queen of your life. And king and queen isn't talking about being a a monarchy from power tripping. It's understanding that the choice is yours and kings and queens make choices every single day. And yet often we advocate our own throne. We'll advocate it to our significant other. We'll advocate it to our employers. We'll advocate it to our kids. Hey, kids, what do you want? They don't know. They're freaking five. They're kids. Give them an idea. <laughs> yeah, they're freaking kids. They're having fun. Yeah, you don't even know what you want. So why are you asking a five-year-old what the heck they want? Just, just go. Have fun with it. But we're so afraid to be dorks. But hey, what? Hi, my name is Travis Fox. I'm a dork. I'm a big geek. I know what? I played with the cool kids, but guess what? I'm still a dork. And I like being a dork. Here's why. That's where my mastership lives. It's where it's always been. And yet, you know, I'm, I'm one of the, you know, I guess one of the blessed few who finally realized, you know, being a dork, if I can use that label, although I don't even really know what a dork means, but you know, that that's fun. And when you have fun with it and time flies when you're having fun, and again, reiteration of a loop, you all got into business because you wanted to be veterinarians. You wanted to have the passion to work with animals because how you feel you could, there's something different with animals. Animals teach us unconditional love. They teach us presence. There's compassion there that humans often lack or suppress because we shut it off, which is insane, but we do. And that constantly is there, right? But you still have to deal with people in that business. There ain't no way around it. So instead of, you know, making the animals the focus, make all of it the focus. You can even see dogs and you start to use the archetypes in the dogs. You can go, oh, that dog's moving in warrior space. That dog's moving in wizard. He's figuring things out. That cat, cats are great wizards. They figure crap out and they look at you like stupid human. They just look at you and you can laugh at it because you go, I get that. And you can see the modeling in an animal and then map it on yourself. But if you have a blueprint and we take you on a game and what makes so much fun about our game is we're guides. We don't ever come from the position of we've got it all figured out and you people don't and you need to listen to us. That model needs to go away. I'm, I'm, I used to be a part of that crowd. No disrespect to that crowd, but I couldn't do it anymore. I, I felt it was unauthentic uh, authentic to sit on stage and go, well, I'm Dr. Fox and you want to be like me. I don't want you to be like me. Be you. Being me is a waste of time, right? Heck, I'm still be working on being me. So that makes no sense. But to make it fun and go, wait a minute, I can, I can approach my fear of success which by the way, in my opinion, is the number one fear. It's not fear of public speaking. We are scared right. to death to be successful. Mm-hmm. People go, oh, that's my fear of failure. 
you're a freaking master at failure. Cut the crap. You've <laughs> failed so many freaking times. You're used to it. In fact, you're predictatory. And here's how you do it. So everybody listening to Dr. Shuli's show, here it is. You hope for the best, but you plan for the worst, which means your conscious intention doesn't mean squat. Your subconscious is already holding the space of it's going to fall apart. And you're prepared for it. So when it happens, you're like, see, I told you so. Duh. Predicting you're like, your well, own well, destiny, right? Right. And, yeah. and again, you hear the, you know, the social popisms of, you know, be the light. No, be all of it. Because there is no such thing as light without dark. If, you're, if it's all light, then you're blinded by the light, puns intended. And it's all dark, you can't see. But if you're both, there are times where you need to go down into that dungeon. And we need to look at your guilt and your shame and your resentment and those things you stuff down. Those things where you judge yourself as a freak, as a, as a, as a pervert, as a deviant, whatever these words that people put as these negative labels. But that's who we are. Because if you look at the universe, light and dark have to coexist. That's how you can navigate through the boat. So when you start to explore all these things, you stop judging. And I'm not saying you're not going to be judgment. Like I, I can see, okay, the wall's this far apart. I'm looking at spatial awareness and, and objectivity from the conscious perspective. That's how we judge things. It's how our, our reptilian brain is built and how we didn't eat by dinosaurs, right? Oh, that's a threat. Got to go. I'm, I'm talking about how we are ruthless, ruthless dictators, and absolute dungeon masters on ourselves. I know I've got five black belts at kicking Travis's ass. It's brilliant. I can find every way to just to beat myself up. Especially I can tell you, thought. yeah. It's all the things yeah. that are wrong with you, right? <laughs> Absolutely. We're really you know, good I mean, at that. Oh, brutal. I mean, I mean, and, and I always tell people, I said, you know, if anybody ever talked to you the way you talk to yourself, you'd never have any friends. Seriously. You yeah. You would have none. You'd be like, tell the world to pound sand. But yet we'll do it to ourselves in silence. And it's a repetitive dripping water. You know, the old famous Chinese saying, water breaks the stone. It does. It breaks you down. It breaks you down over time when your wizard gets out of balance and your warrior, bard, and jester are just over there on the sidelines going, hey, put me in, coach. And your wizard's like, no, you're not ready. You suck. You're too fat. You're too tall. You're too this. You're not the, whatever the heck it is. I'm like, boys and girls, we all end up in the same. No matter what path you choose in this life, no matter what archetypes and archetypes you explore or don't explore, it all ends the same. You're going to end up broken dead any way you slice it. The question is, did you really live? And, fun, and making it fun and going through archetype makes business fun again, makes your health fun again, and makes your relationships fun again. And if it's fun, you'll do it. And if you'll do it, now you're exploring. And now, now we go back to the great theme. Life is an adventure. Be on the adventure. Get out of the hypnosis of your own self. Get out of the ideology that if you don't work blank and blank and blank and blank and blank and blank is going to occur. That's not a business. That's a marriage, right? You're, if you're married to your business, you're, you're out of balance. I'll guarantee you're out of balance. I can walk into your company within three minutes, go, got it, got it, got it, got it. And go, here's the things that are out of balance. You go, how do you know that? I'm like, because I'm looking at it from a different theme. I look at it from the theme of fun and how does this business grow? How does it build itself as a brand? Which is what we really do is we help entrepreneurs go from, you know, literally founder from funding to fortune, but we do it in a fun whole way. And it's a new way to do it. And from my understanding that we're the first to do it and we've done it in an app form and we even did it on price point. I was like, look, I've been that high ticket guy. I was the guy that stood on stage and said, Dr. Julie, you go back to the room. You spend $30,000 with me and you're going to do X, Y, or Z. <laughs> right. And I knew we were both full of crap. Here's why. I knew that 80% of you would never do a damn thing. And two, the 20% that actually did something would only go so far because then they would hit their first obstacle. Yeah. And when they do, they don't know how to approach it because it didn't feel like fun. Right. Hence why when we first go back to the gym, as an example, those first seven days suck. They suck because your body's like, oh, I've gotten stiff and the energy doesn't work. And I haven't used my arms this way. And yeah. 
but that's because it's not fun. We're anticipating it. And we, we supposed to, oh, I made this fun again. Ooh, you know, and I always tell people, look, you're going to choose your pain. You're going to be in the pain of because you're choosing to expand your body and continue to stay in shape, or you're going to be in pain because your body's decaying. There is no such thing yeah. as static in the universe. It's a medical yeah. fact, right? But you choose your pain. But what if pain became pleasurable? And I'm not talking sadomasochistic. So all you people out there think I'm going that direction. That's not where I'm going. I'm talking about choose your pain. Because if it was fun to go to the gym and, ooh, I feel that burn. You know, it was one of, a, one of our great coaches, you know, Tom Twilliger, who is Mr. America, who is a part of the Ultimate Body Quest, just, you know, says, you know, and like several other guys say, it really doesn't start until the burn begins. That's when the set starts because now the muscles work and now you're expanding. But now you're finding threshold. What you think your limit is and what your actual limit is are radically different. You know, and I, I had to prove that to myself in a whole new way. And I did that in 2018. I'm an ocean kid. I'm an ocean kid. I'm a water dragon. I don't like being up in the high air. I don't like cold. I don't like yeah, junk. But I was on one of our quests in uh, Tanzania, Africa. And one of my partners uh, who has climbed Everest said, hey, why don't we go climb you know, Kilimanjaro? And before I had an opportunity for my wizard to go, are you out of your bloody mind? You're 48 years Crazy. old. You know, yeah, you're nuts. I went, heck yeah, let's do it. And then 20 minutes later, I was like, what did I just say? What did I just yeah. get to? How did I but get that, myself that, into that? <laughs> right. Again, subconscious was talking, going, it's time to change your element. You've been in the water your life, Travis. You need to be in the mountains. There's something different about Queen Kilimanjaro. She's been there a billion years. You're not going to negotiate with her. You're going to get the stuff that you need ground out of you, ground out of you. Well, I ended up summoning and I did it without any, any drugs, no altitude sickness, no idea what I was doing, but I was present and it changed my life in a way that I still to this day, in, I know it sounds odd, but I have a difficult time articulating, but yeah. it was something very powerful from that perspective. And when you get to the top of Kilimanjaro, for me, I learned two things. Getting to the top isn't the success point. It's the halfway point. <laughs> you got to get, get back, back down, down. <laughs> and get it. And the second thing I learned is going down hurt twice as much as going up. And they didn't put that in the brochure. Their brochure, the brochure wasn't, oh, you're going to have a great time. The top's going. No, it was freaking cold. It was windy. And you get up there and you're like, it's just me and my climbing partner. And you can't share it with anybody. Well, what the hell is that? What's the point of that? So it's about the adventure. Everybody goes with us. Let's all go together. And now we move from this beautiful, I'll use the word mindset for simplicity, stop the competitive mindset and we move to cooperative mindset. I want my wizards. I want my warriors. I want my bards. I want my, because I too am all for them. And I know how to drop in to when I talk to my warriors, when I talk to my wizards and when they talk to me, and now we're creating a rapport that goes way past like neuro-linguistic programming, auditory, visual, kinesthetic, olfactory, gustatory. Cause that's, that's a really kind of a precursory sensory thing. This is deep, but it's fun deep. It doesn't make it scary. So now we can all go to the dungeon together. We can go look at the dungeon and say, Hmm, you know what? I remember back in blankety blank, you know, I got 16 and did this and that. And now I've been you know, scared to talk on stage ever since. Okay, cool. Let's look at that trauma and let's have fun doing it. And let's bring that into your business now, because maybe your business does need social media. Yes, it does, boys and girls, because today world, it's not just kids doing it. Your business is required. Like we used to have a website. We used to have a business card. You got to have a social presence because it's a part of the model that we've all agreed to on a global scale, which means you can have to get in front of this camera. No different than you're doing with the podcast, Doc. Right? Right. Congratulations to you for stepping out and doing that, which is not, by the way, last I checked. It was in, scary in when I first training. started yeah. it. <laughs> right? I, last I checked, it they don't anymore, teach I've been doing it long enough, but the first couple right. of times, it was pretty intimidating. Right. And, you're, and then you ask yourself, 
Okay. And let me give you the first tip inside the quest that will change fundamentally, I believe, all of your lives. And our CEO is actually the one that really came up with this when she was, when we were really you know, fleshing this thing out over the last couple of years. And that is, we often get into what you just said right there, Doc. The first couple of ones were intimidating. But really, let's look at this from a fundamental humanistic point of view. Fear is excitement just without breathing. Because to our body, they are identical. The adrenaline, the dopamine, the response, parasympathetic, sympathetic, the nervous response system, it's identical. The difference is when we're excited, oh my God, it was amazing. It was like, wow, that roller coaster was awesome. I can't believe we're nuts. But when we're scared, we go, but we forget that when we stop breathing, our subconscious doesn't stop recording. It's how it records it that becomes a key thing. Breathing, although it sounds fundamental, it is, because without breathing, it's all over anyways, but it really is the essence of when I breathe, isn't that when I create? I mean, let's be biblical for about it for a moment. You know, God breathed in life into Adam, right? Spoke into the light. Okay, so breathing is an elemental thing, but breathing is never taught in business practice, practice or business acumen. We have to go kind of figure it out on our own. I'm like, wait a minute. How many times you would go and walk into a boardroom to give a presentation and you are petrified? And you're not breathing. <laughs> you're not breathing. Right. Okay. Or, hey, you want to go ask this person out on a date? Right. Or, hey, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm like, you have to breathe while you're doing it. And we forget that. So part of what we add is we brought Sifu John Goff in, who's a Qigong master. And an amazing soul. And fun to be around, too, because you never know he's a Qigong master. He just nutty little professor who also happens to be this Qigong master who puts you through these breathing things that take two, three minutes long, but literally fundamentally shift how you move. And when you start looking at things that would scare us, it's our wizard interpreting it from a fear perspective, fight or flight, reptilian. But to our body, if we just simply breathe, it moves almost instantaneously right into excitement. And then you can ask yourself, now, how do I make this fun again? And when you get to that thematic, and you start looking at it, you go, hmm, what next? What am I, what else do I want to go experience? And you start unlocking all of these things you can held in captive in your dungeon where, well, I can't do that. Or, you know, the people would never accept me if I did this. I'm like, well, who cares what the people accept you? That's not what this is about. This is about your particular kingdom. What do you want the legacy of your life, your kingdom, when you pass it on to your husband, or your wife, to your kids, what do you want it to look, feel like? What was it about? What was your purpose, your passion, your mission? And here's the real thing. Here's the deepest challenge for all of you listening to Doc's show from us at The Quest. It's really, really simple. Are you willing to accept the challenge? to rescue yourself, your life, your body, your business from mediocrity. Yes or no? If you're not, then you got what you got. Stop bitching and complaining. No more victim, no more martyr. If you are, join the quest. Download the app. It takes 10 seconds. Start playing. Do it with your kids now and have fun because mediocrity is the precursor to regret. And regret kills you. We know it. We know it does, right? It did it with my father. My father passed away literally the day before we debuted uh, Beyond the Secret, which was the secret, uh, the sequel film to The Secret, which I was one of the co-producers and co-stars in it myself. And so I didn't know my dad was sick. So my dad held on to all that resentment and all that anger since I was a teenager when he got divorced, even though he got remarried, but he held on to it. Never even said goodbye. Never know. Died of pancreatic cancer. And ironically, Doc, of all things and talk about creation. I've been teaching, if you only had 30 days left to live, would you be doing anything in your life that you're doing right now? And 99% of the time, the answer is no from people. I'm like, okay, then that's where we're going to start. My dad literally was told, you have 30 days left to live. 
and that he died. Never said goodbye, didn't say goodbye to his grandchildren, held on to that. Well, how do you get pancreatic cancer? Anger, resentment, from an energetic body point of view, if you look at it from that point of view. And so you look at those things. And so life now has become a manifestation of those things that, that we teach and we guide on. And when I say teach, I want to be really crystal clear with all of you, all of you listening, all of you watching. When I say teach, we are not coming from we know it all. We are coming from we're guides. That's why we're called quest guides and quest masters. We have done this quest thousands and thousands and thousands of times with businesses, entrepreneurs, MLMs, coaches, teachers, trainers, facilitators, name it, from guiding you through it. It's still your adventure though. And every adventure is individualistically yours. But regret and mediocrity are the two things that lead to death. End of discussion. And it kills us slowly and we don't even realize we're doing it. And that's the question. The question is, are you willing to go on the quest to rescue your own life from mediocrity? And mediocrity doesn't mean you have to go be Elon Musk. It means you are having fun at everything you're doing and experiencing your life through your archetypes and exploring all of you, exploring your lover, exploring your relationship, exploring your kids and teaching your kids the most fundamental lesson that all of us have not had. To, they didn't learn at that age and we had to go relearn it. And as that is life's an adventure, stay in fun and you will create your, the life that you want. You don't have to go to woo-wooism unless you want to. That's if that's fun for you. Go for it. You don't have to go to beat my head against the wall unless you like doing that. But make sure that it's fun because you can never run out of it. You're already wealthy. You, no one needs to teach you how to do that. The question is, can we give you a blueprint to go on an adventure to rescue your heart? And that's what we're about. I love it. That's so cool. Thank you. So how do, how do people um, learn more? Tell us where to go. Is there? You said there's an app. Yeah, you can. Well, first thing you can do, you can do one of two things. If you want to, get, if you want to jump on the quest right now, because everyone's going to go, well, how much does it cost? All you wizards out there going, well, all right, what's the cost of it? <laughs> okay, wizards. I really Let's wasn't thinking them. that, to be honest. Yeah. But okay. Well, you weren't. But yeah, it's you weren't. But the other it's a valid question, I guess. It, yeah, all the wizards do. I'm used to. So it is it called the quest? The ultimate business quest. The ultimate, ultimate business. Yes. You'll, you'll recognize the logo it. on my hat, right? Yeah. You download the app on Apple or Google. It's called the ultimate business quest. Or you can go to the website, ultimatebusinessquest.com. You can take the archetypal quiz there. It's free. And it'll tell you right away, your warrior wizard bar gesture, your own subconscious will answer it. And you can click the link and it'll download it from Apple or Google. And it's only $2.99 all in. No, no, but wait, there's more. We'll give you free shipping and we'll double your order. It's $2.99. But wait. Here's one. <laughs> yeah, but wait. <laughs> we'll give you two apps for the price of one. No, it's $2.99 a month. The maximum you can you spend is 36 bucks. If you're not willing to spend 36 bucks on yourself, then you have to ask yourself, what the hell are you doing in business in the first place? Yeah. Do it. Why? I My entire thing is to transform the self-help industry to self-transformational industry. Yeah. I, I, can't be, I can't be a part of it anymore. I was, I hold myself in contempt. I'm not disrespecting my other coaches, but cut the crap. You don't need to charge you $30,000 for that. Let's, it's time. And now more than ever, I mean, we couldn't have written the script any other way. Now more than ever, the state of the world that we're in and the, what we've all just gone through in this last two years, we need everyone to have these skills. And the only way to do that was to put it at a price point that everyone could finally access it. Because otherwise it's just the 1% talking to the 1% and we're dividing the classes further and further. But the truth is just the United States alone, there's 52 million entrepreneurs. There's 28 million businesses here that generally make less than a million dollars a year. That, that makes up the preponderance of our GDP. They're the ones that need these skills the most because they keep this thing turning, man. And I'm saying the 1% don't matter, what I'm saying is, yes, that's great. And they need these skills too. But what about the other 90%? That leaves the other 300 million people in the United States alone going, 
I don't, I don't, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do a business plan. I don't know how to face my fears. I don't have time to go to a seminar. I'm just trying to make the, you know, the two ends meet so I can get it through. Right. Well, you can do that now in the power of your phone, literally boop, for $2 and 99 cents. You can stop having that, you know, $6 cup of coffee every morning for one day. And boom, you take an entire month for yourself to go through and get all these skills and do it in a fun way and do it with your kids. Cause it's gamified. We leaderboards, we even give, we have a 501 uh, C3, a foundation that supports all the quests where we actually give rewards and we don't take any equity. We're not VCs. We're not going, well, give me your business plan, Dr. Julie, and we'll let you know if we're interested or not. I'm like, no, hey, you finished the quest. Guess what? Here's a thousand dollar cash prize for your business. Boom, go out and tell everybody else. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Because if we don't start taking care of each other, this whole damn thing's going to fall apart anyways. <laughs> it's going to fall apart and it won't matter. It won't matter what thing you're in. And so we really looked at it on a global scale. And then we said, we, we got the, uh, the data down you know, you've got 580 million people that qualify as entrepreneurs. Well, 500, that's it. Everyone else is in a job format or corporate format. I don't know whether, I don't know if that qualifies for freedom for you, but it doesn't for me. It doesn't qualify as freedom. It qualifies as time given away in exchange for a, a piece of paper or said value, whatever that said value is. And I understand that it has a value to it, boys and girls, but let's cut the crap. Is that what you really want to do? More often than not, the answer is no. And the fear mechanism keeps us locked into mediocrity. Mediocrity leads to regret. And regret teaches your kids the exact same pattern you're doing right now. And that's not the legacy that I know most people want to leave. They don't. So this is why we did it. So when people say, well, Travis, how can you give it away for $2.99? I'm like, how could I not? How could I not? Well, and it sounds to me like this would be good for anyone, entrepreneur or not. Like, it sounds like it's more of a self-discovery kind of journey. Absolutely. Uh, we, I mean, again, we have, we have full companies that go through it because we do, uh, um, you know, if you're not, if you want to go beyond the app, you can do what's called the guided quest or quest masters, myself being one of them. We come in and we guide your whole company culture. We show you how to hire and fire. We show you how your sales force can be trained all through everything we do in the quest and the app then supports it concurrently. Right. And business leaders, it doesn't matter on an individualistic level, you need it because it's you. Right. It's, yeah. I mean, like and you that's said what best. this is all about is, is getting your life right better anything that makes it better like that that is that is why i do what i do i just want to if if somebody gets one piece of information about all the things that you just said and to make their life better or to get them to think in a different way that's what it's all about and you know what and we can even play you know let's play let's play you know psychodynamics right there when we say things like the word better then you have to immediately jump into your wizard archetype and go yeah. better than what does what? that mean? Yeah. <laughs> what am I, what is my litmus test that I'm comparing myself right, to? So right. now we know how to employ the wizard. So when I say the word better, I'm inviting my wizard archetype to come forward and say, here's all the things that we can better than, as opposed to, Oh, I'm better than my life sucks. I can't pay the bills, you know? Blah, blah. Right. Okay. That's a different type of your, that's, that's the wizard going into a deeper part of you where the, the judgment comes in as opposed to, well, how do I make this fun? Okay. Well, here's what I'd like to transform as opposed to better because better, better implies yeah. it's not good enough. Right. right. I'm not good enough is what the thematic ends up boiling to the comments like that. And I'm not saying that's what you said, doc, but just for your listeners to no, give you it an makes, idea. It, it definitely makes sense. Cause it's just a, it's just a thought, right? Yeah. But just the thought becomes a thought becomes a repetitive, becomes a belief, becomes a habit, yep. becomes automated. Exactly. You know, you gotta yep. behave. Yeah. Ah, and that's crap. what you teach. <laughs> exactly. And you're it's stuck. Like, out. <laughs> right. And next thing you know, you wake up and you're like, I think I need to go on to a weekend retreat somewhere and find myself. I'm like, did yeah. you lose yourself alongside of the road? I mean, did you go hitchhiking and, you know, have a split personality? What do you mean find yourself? And it's not find ourselves. It's letting ourselves out of the dungeon of our castle, letting ourselves be 
free again. Be fun. Have fun with it. Again, how many how many parties have you been to, Doc? Holiday parties, whatever, where everyone comes in and everyone's excited for a party, and about an hour into, everyone's like, "I'm bored," because <laughs> we're all dressed up with no place to go, saying the same stupid crap that we said in the last year's holiday party to the same people. Doc, not saying we're not asking the question. Like, for example, if I come to you, Doc, and say, "Doc, I'm just really curious. Why'd you buy your last car? What would you say?" Um. Oh boy, that's a hard one because my old car was falling apart. <laughs> Because my old car is falling apart. So when you went to buy this new car. My car isn't very exciting. I, I drive a Ford Edge. It's not exciting. Now, hold on. You, oh, by the way, those of you listening to Dr. Julie's show, that's her wizard talking about it right there. Well, my car is not that exciting. I didn't ask whether it was exciting. I said, what made you buy your last car? What made car? me buy it? I yeah. guess just uh, the need to get to work. <laughs> the need to get to work. It helps you get to where you want to go. Now, my question is, did you do an analysis of this car versus that car? Well, this car gets better gas mileage. It does this or that. Is that how you did it? No, or did you I, go, go, I go by looks. <laughs> See? Now, I like the way it this looks. Is where you start, yeah, how it looks, right? Now, here's the weird part. That's not a wizard answer. That's a warrior answer. Because yeah. the warrior goes, yeah, the car looks cool. It gets me from point B well, to point B. I don't know that it's Come cool, on. but I just liked it better than the other cars. <laughs> That's cool to you. It doesn't right. matter if it's cool to anybody else, but it's cool to you. But right. that's your warrior that's choosing that's choosing the car where your wizard would go, well, no, it's got a safety rating of this and it's got a gas mileage compared to this. And this has been its you know, repair record. And this is the company. That's a wizard who's doing an, analy uh, an analytical. Yeah, that's my husband. Car. He's but got the, wizard, ask you the wizard. Right. It's not me. <laughs> right. So now we got a boy. Now we look at the relationship. Now I got a wizard and a warrior who are going to buy a car. But when you understand the ultimate relationship question, you can go, oh, I see how we complement each other as opposed to, right. you don't need to buy a cool car, Dr. Julie, but we need to buy a car that's more efficient. And then you also right. do get an argument about things that are supposed to be exciting and fun because we're not looking at the mastership of our partner who is in that moment being their master, their natural mastership archetype in that realm. Yeah. And now it changes how we look at it. And again, it's not role playing. It's who we are. And it's about the balancing of those so that we truly become the king and queen so that yeah, you and your I husband Right. And king and queen doesn't mean you're the queen and he's a king. Everyone's a king and queen within their own realm. We I'm get the to king. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they say PhD stands for please her daily. So it doesn't surprise go. me one bit. Right? Nice. But that, that's, that's what makes it fun. So go download the app, start the quest today. Awesome. I love it. Well, thank you Thanks. so much for being on the podcast. It's been really fun. I love your energy. I'm like all excited and pumped up now. I'm going to go thank have you. some fun. Please do. All this. And this you know was, what? This was fun. Yeah. Follow us on social media. And yes, we answer all, all of us answer our own social media. We're not bots. We actually still engage with everybody. So top in and say, Hey, you know, doc, I have a question. Great. Give us a question or go on and go on the, the website, Facebook. It's all there. And it's like, guys, we're here to have fun because guess what? The more, the merrier. We know that one too. So let's all go have fun and do it and have That's a blast. Great. Thanks for letting me be on the podcast, Doc. I really Thank appreciate you it. Thanks so for much. This is Dr. Travis Fox. Thank you so much, Travis. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Everybody have a great week. Bye.